On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about Blue Jays opening day. The season is upon us. Spring is here. It's supposed to be freezing cold on Thursday when they open, but nonetheless, spring is here. We'll talk about that. We're also going to talk about a new documentary about the Niagara Peninsula that is done in a most unique, most unbelievable way. Stick around to find out what it is. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Well, tomorrow is opening day. Believe it or not, the baseball season begins for real tomorrow. One o'clock, 105, probably 107. And then actually when you figure in all the pregame stuff, probably 130. But anyway, around one tomorrow in New York against the Yankees, the Blue Jays will kick off their season. And someone who can talk at great length, and we love when she does come on here to talk about it, who can talk at great length about this team is Caitlin McGrath. You can find her on Twitter. And by the way, she is the Caitlin McGrath who writes for The Athletic because as I discovered Caitlin, I don't know anyone else named Caitlin McGrath, but there's a ton of you guys on Twitter. There's a, you've got a whole Caitlin McGrath group out there. Yeah, I know. There's one in particular who has the Twitter handle, Caitlin McGrath. She's like a weather person. Yes, in Connecticut. Yeah, yeah. I get the occasional tweet about like weather and it's not me. So I have a I have my middle initial in my Twitter handle, so it's like Caitlin C. McGrath. Um, uh, but yeah, like uh, there there are quite a few of us out there. I mean, I I know I I went to Ireland when I was quite young, and like McGrath is a pretty common name there. So I'm not surprised it's a, it's a more common name than you think. Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, you can find her, so Caitlin, the Caitlin we're talking to, if you go look her up after, she writes for The Athletic, she covers the Blue Jays, does a great job at that, and Caitlin, let me say this, um, you, you've obviously been writing about the Blue Jays and working on stuff about them nonstop for weeks and weeks and weeks now through spring training, so it probably feels very much like it's about time for opening day for you, you're probably more than ready for this. But I've talked to a whole bunch of people in the last couple of days who it, they say, and I feel the same way, it kind of feels weird that it's opening day. It it doesn't feel normal or usual. or It doesn't feel like we're ready yet. I, I don't know if it's the out of sight, out of mind, because, well, I, I don't know. I mean, have you heard the same thing or, or are you getting the sense that, no, this is a very normal season? Um, yeah, it's hard to say because so much of my inner circle is just sports people um, that are quite aware of it. But I will say that I do have, I think I've noticed dating back to last year um, that I just think the Blue Jays do feel a little bit more distant. And I also think that a lot of people, there's so much on our minds right now with everything that's going on in the world that as much as like sports serve as like a distraction, it's even, it's almost hard to make time for that distraction or sometimes you maybe like don't even just want to turn on the TV. And so I think that there's just so much other stuff that's like occupying our minds right now that even the space you used to reserve for, for sports is probably being taken up with some other concerns that you have just because everything's so overwhelming. I think that also like just the Blue Jays not being in Toronto and there's like no really date in sight when they'll be here. If you were a fan in 2019 and that was sort of a, maybe you were just hopping on board because you really liked Laddie or Cabin or Bo in 2019 and then you haven't seen your team in, in two years basically, right? Like it's going to, be close to two years because I don't think they're going to be playing here until the summer at the earliest um, if if even they come back um, so I think it's just like a combination of things it's been a weird time and and I think the 60 game season threw people off last year I think it was mm. so short it just went off it just was like a blink and it was over and so I think that once the season gets going here maybe the Blue Jays are making some news people will kind of like go back to them and start paying attention and, and maybe some momentum will come as, as the weather gets warmer and maybe the 
the, the, the you know pandemic and things get a little bit better here with vaccines and all that kind of stuff. So we'll wait and see. But I do think it feels a little bit muted compared to other opening days. Well, and, and that creates questions. And that's really interesting because uh, not just, I mean, there's certainly been fewer people in Florida covering the team, which is a normal thing, but there's always questions when it, when a team starts a season, whether it's baseball or anything else, there's always questions about a team. We don't know how they're going to perform as a team or individually, how guys are going to perform. But this year's Jays team seems to me anyway, to have so many questions on it that makes it so intriguing because like there's so many guys that could be great or could be and 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 that leads to I have no idea what this team is going to be. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a team to watch just because I think that it's probably fair to say that this will mark the start of a new era for the Blue Jays. I mean, obviously the team wants to be seen as a competitor, as a, a contender. I think that they probably are because I think they did enough this off season to put themselves in the conversation with other teams like the the White Sox and the, the Rays. And I mean, I think the Yankees are probably going to win the American League. They're much better than everyone else. But the other teams like, uh, you know, the Cleveland, the Angels, all those kinds of teams. I think the Blue Jays are certainly in the mix. Um, and they will all be kind of competing for that second wild card spot. But, you know, when a team goes through as much turnover, um, so to speak, as the Blue Jays did, you obviously have questions. And I think the other aspect of the Blue Jays team is that they're still relatively a young team. And so we've seen um, some of the young players have really great seasons. We've seen some of the younger players um, have not so great seasons or just have like up and down periods, which is going to come. But at some point, um, those young players are going to have to sort of like just be consistent stars. Like that's why the Blue Jays built a team around them. So like Bobachet, Vlad Guerrero Jr., especially like, the rebuild kind of only works if they are star players, right? right. Like there's right. Other, there's going to be supporting cast members. Obviously, George Springer. We just found out that he's going to start the season on the IL, but presumably it won't be like a very lengthy stint. You know, hopefully it's ten days or a little bit more than ten days. Um, we'll wait and see on that. But yeah, like I think that I think the question is just is have they built a contender? Um, have they, and I don't think that, that we'll know definitively this year. Like I don't look at this season as a make or break season, so to speak, but I do think that they have to show that they've made some progress forward because I do think to consider this the start of the competitive window, we're going to have to see the Blue Jays, you know, be one of those competitive teams. 100%, 100%. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Caitlin, just before the break, we were saying about the, we don't really know about some of the stuff. The, the Jays are a team of mystery a little bit because, you know, they have tons of potential and you alluded to it. They're a young team. There's so much potential there. We just don't necessarily know what's going to happen. And so let me ask you this. I mean, other than Hanjin Ryu, who, uh, you know, I think that their ace pitcher, who I think is probably as close a thing to a sure thing as they have, after him, who would you bet your salary on that is guaranteed to produce this year? Who would you say is the next guy that is, I am so sure he is going to be great that I would make a wager like that? Um, I mean, I think George Springer has a proven track record of being great. I mean, the Blue Jays didn't pay him $150 million for nothing, right? Like he, You hope. <laughs> yeah, like he um, has proven to just be like consistently 
above average. Um, he hits the ball. He walks a lot. He doesn't strike out. He's solid defensively. He does all the things you want. Um, and so I, I'm pretty confident that he'll be good. But I would also say that everything that Bo Bichette has done since he debuted in 2019 has just been you, – you, there's no complaints about Bo. Like, he's hit everything. He's done everything that – you want him to do as a hitter defensively, there's probably some things he still needs to work on, and I think he's really driven to do that. But I would expect that Bo Bichette's probably going to really cement himself as one of the best young hitters in the game. And I've been on the record, and I, I don't mind saying it again, that I do think this is the year for Vlad. I think that he breaks out this season. I think that he had a really good spring. He's come into camp. He's in really good shape. Um, there's just a lot of positive signs. Um, around his play this spring. He was hitting the ball really hard. Um, looked like he was lifting the ball more, so you, you hope that maybe there's going to be some more um, home run power in his swing this year. He's patient at the plate, all these good things, all these good signs. Um, still a young player, still kind of learning the ropes of the majors, but I, I do think that this is going to be his year, and I, I'm not the only one that said it. I've seen him on quite a few lists of, of sort of players to watch this year. And that would be huge for them because that's what they've been waiting for. I mean, ever since he came up, they've been waiting for that explosion that he always seemed in the minors that he was the guy who was going to be able to do that. And so for sure, what would be, what about the uncertainty? I mean, the Jays have more uncertainty. I don't even mean on the lineup now. Um, they're starting in Florida. At some point they may end up moving to Buffalo, I guess, back to Buffalo and then maybe to Toronto. Uh, we see this kind of thing seems to have had a real impact on the Raptors, the lack of a real home. What, what do you think the impact would be on the Jays? Yeah, it's interesting because I, it didn't really seriously impact a lot of them too much last year. Like, I think it did a little bit, I think, especially to start the season. And that was more so not knowing where their home would be as opposed to not playing in Toronto. Like, if you remember, like, they were down to the wire. I think they announced their sort of, their, they would go to Buffalo on the first day of last season, which was, like, end of July. And then they had to get Buffalo ready. So the Blue Jays actually spent the first, like, three weeks or so of the season on the road. They missed their first couple of, home, like, what would have been homestands um, and spent them on the road. So that took a toll on them, I think, just being on the road for three weeks. Once they got to Buffalo, um, you know, it's interesting because a lot of them actually – they were sort of recently in Buffalo because the team is so young that some of the players had only had been there in 2019, 2018. It hadn't been that long for them. And so they kind of looked at it like, you know what, we're going to use this as an advantage for us. Like other teams are not going to want to come in and play here and we're just going to embrace it. And at the same time, it was 60 games and, you know, they didn't, whatever they played, like 30 or less than 30 games in Buffalo. So it really wasn't that many games. I do wonder if it'll have more of an impact this year. And you also mentioned that there could be a couple moves this year. They'll start in Dunedin, then they're probably going to go to Buffalo at some point, and then potentially they come to Toronto. That's a lot of moving for a team. Mm. That could that could play a role. We'll wait and see. I'll, I'll say that last year didn't seem to have much of an effect, so I would sort of lean towards it again won't impact them too much because they've already gone through it. But maybe moving around will have some, some impact on them. We'll have to wait and see. Well, with these things always too, if you start out well, if you have a hot start, probably nobody minds, right? I mean, if things are going well and everyone's happy, then who cares if we have to move around? It's when things aren't going well, if that were to happen, that suddenly it seems like a big deal. Yeah, I agree. And like the, they start on the road and then, you know, they're just going back to Dunedin and they've just spent a month or more than a month in playing in Dunedin. So it's not going to be a huge adjustment for them to be there. And the, the nice thing actually is that the Blue Jays did open that really expansive, massive 
state-of-the-art um, playing facility. So they do have sort of everything they need there, um, and that'll be an advantage for them, I think. Um, and so I think you're right, though. Like, if, if the season gets off really well, then no one's really going to be talking about Dunedin and what impact it's having on the players. If they get off to a terrible start, um, if they're losing games at home and stuff, it probably will become a topic. That's just what happens. Um, but I honestly, like, I don't think it's going to be a huge factor. Um, I think, though, at some point, they're really going to want to be back in Toronto. And I think not even just the players. I think, like, the executives, like, guys like, you know, Mark Shapiro, who's been working on this um, for, you know, a year now at this point, I think that there will be a real desire to get back here, especially if things look a lot better in the summer. Um, we'll have to wait and see if that happens. But I'm sure Rogers would like that too. They, they would prefer to sell some tickets and get some money back into the coffers. Well, I mean, they'll make, they'll be selling tickets in Dunedin and they'll be selling tickets at Buffalo. So um, yep. one, one interesting thing is honestly, like, I don't know if Toronto is going to be, it's up to the city and it's up to everything. I don't know how that would work necessarily. It's not really just up to the Blue Jays to sell tickets. It would be a decision from levels of government. I think, I think the Blue Jays would, Come, I mean, they've said, I think someone asked Mark Spiro a couple of weeks ago, would you come back to Toronto and play in front of no one or stay in Buffalo and play in front of whatever it is, 10% or something? Um, and they said they'd come back to Toronto. Like, the, they want their players in a major league ballpark. So that will be interesting, actually, if they, they come back to Toronto and they're, they're one of the only teams playing in front of no one because generally, mm. you know, I think Canada's a little bit slower to opening things up than the United States is, also because we're behind in the vaccine rollout, too. So um, that'll be something to watch as well. But I, I think my guess would be that they would come back regardless if they are able to, fans or no fans. That is Caitlin McGrath from The Athletic. That would be Caitlin C. McGrath. If you look on Twitter, don't go to all the other ones, including the meteorologist, and, and start sending notes to them as well. Uh, great stuff, Caitlin. Thanks, as always, for doing this. Really appreciate it. Enjoy the season. No problem. Thank you. Uh, once again, Caitlin McGrath from The Athletic. Read her stuff. It's excellent. Uh, always is. Opening day tomorrow. There you go. Spring arrives. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are all stuck in our homes, or most of us. Uh, as of tomorrow, we might be stuck in our homes for even longer. Apparently, a new lockdown of some kind is coming. And one of the things that I think most of us, for better or for worse, have taken to doing is watching a lot more TV than we ever did before. We have, some of us have reached the end of Netflix. Uh, we've almost burned through Crave and the Disney Channel. I mean, there, there's probably not much left to watch. I said this a while back. I um, got there in a while, for a while there, it got so desperate. I was watching brooding Finnish and Scandinavian crime dramas. Where that came from, I don't know, but we did. So we're always looking for something good, something great to watch on TV. Well, I may have something for you. My next guest is an award-winning documentary filmmaker who's the man behind a real, really cool-looking three-hour documentary about the Niagara Peninsula that is taken from a completely unique perspective and done in a very unexpected way. It's called Tripping the Niagara. It's going to debut Friday evening on TV Ontario, TVO. His name is Mitch Azaria, and he joins us now. Mitch, how are you tonight? Well, Scott, how are you? I'm doing great. Now, just before we get into this, before we get to the film, and we will talk about it at length, some people listening, when I just said the name Mitch Azaria, are saying to themselves, wait a second, Mitch Azaria, Mitch Azaria, why do I know that name, Mitch Azaria? Well, if you, the listeners, are around my vintage and grew up watching 
sports line, global sports line, 1130 weeknights, the sports show to watch when you were in high school or university or whatever. Mitch Azaria was along with Mark Hebsher and Jim Taddy was a reporter on that show. It's an unbelievable, it's a beautiful connection that you've got there, Mitch. That's you, 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 you go back that far, right? Not only do I go back that far, but I was talking with Mark Hebsher on this show a little while ago and your name came up in all the most glowing ways, but you, uh, you are a memorable reporter on that show. I got to tell you. Well, that's, that's very kind of you, Scott. I, I actually, um, was, uh, had a lot of fun with Mark and Jim. They reunited, I think it was last summer for a game of golf, um, just, uh, just outside of Hamilton. And we, we had just had a ball uh, together again. Uh, it's unbelievable the chemistry in those two. I mean, they hadn't seen each other in I don't know how many years, and they were just just having a ball. People were coming up to them. They were, you know, they, it was like it was like a throwback to uh, 20 years ago. Well, yeah, and that show. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, we now have two sports networks, and they have multiple different highlight shows and everything else. But I mean, you don't have to brag about it. But I don't think you would dispute that there was a time when Sportsline was the show. I mean, you you probably, I'm guessing, at maybe still, but at one time, well, you could probably not walk around Toronto without being a bit of a celebrity because of that show. Yeah, it, you know, and that really was the case. And you know, Mark and Jim were, you know, ten times more got ten times more attention. But it's hard to believe, especially for, you know, for younger people to think there was a time not only when there wasn't, you know, twenty-four hour sports, but there wasn't anything more than a three or five minute uh, sportscast. Right. I mean, when they debuted, or it was actually Bob McCowan who debuted the program, and it's probably it was forty years ago. Um, you know, a full half hour of sports. I mean, everybody said, well, how are you going to fill that? I mean, it, that's <laughs> impossible. You can't fill a half hour, you know, of sports highlights and sports content. And, you know, now, of course, I mean, there's, you know, name the sport, there's an entire channel wrapped around it. So how does one go from being a sports reporter to a documentary filmmaker? It's <laughs> a good question. <laughs> Um, you know, initially I left um, sports um, and Mark and Jim um, to start my own um, production company, and I had a, an okay run with one series, but um, eventually it petered out, and I went to TSN and uh, worked with Dave Hodge um, on, a, on, a, on a daily show that he was doing, and then, you know, had the urge again to, you know, to start my, my own production company, because it was always in the back of my head that I wanted to you know, produce and that as much as, you know, it's, it was lulling me into being a sports reporter because it's so much fun. You're around, you know, um, you know, a fun game usually. Um, I just, I had this urge to make documentaries and I had this urge to sort of control my own destiny. So, um, you know, it was, it was tough because you pitch programs, right? I mean, that's all you do. You have no income coming in and you go, if you're lucky enough to get to a broadcaster and you give them some idea and you hope that, you know, there's enough of a, of, of a grain of, of interest there that you could then develop something for them. And again, getting unpaid, and it was, uh, it's, it's a long, hard road, but I'm sure glad I'm, I, I am where I am now, uh, 30-some years later. Is, it, is telling stories telling stories? I mean, if you can tell stories as a reporter, can you tell stories as a person creating a show or creating content like that? You know, that's a great observation because what, you know, I did news reporting as well. And, you know, you know, you, 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 you come in in the morning, um, you're given an assignment, um, and at the end of the day, um, not only have you filmed it, you've written it, you've voiced it, you've edited it, and you've put it on air. And if, when I was doing news especially, I mean, I didn't know what that story was, you know, at the beginning of the day. And at the end of the day, I was a somewhat expert relating that story. So, you know, it honed my skill to do that day after day after day. 
and even to this day, when I, you know, when I, when I read a newspaper or a magazine, I, I, all I think about is that would make a wonderful doc. Well, that would be a great documentary. Mm. I mean, you know, it's like the story here in, um, in Ottawa that uh, I'm visiting Ottawa now about this couple that were, you know, that were running a business out of their basement. And, um, you know, they got the largest contract for PPEs, um, you know, handed out by the federal government. I mean, it was, you know, $741 million. And I think, wouldn't they be interesting to, to track down? I mean, you know, they're in their basement, you know, like with a small little enterprise, and now all of a sudden they're dealing with almost a billion-dollar contract. So did you know then, so using that analogy or using that to go forward, did you know when you... Well, when you started to think about Niagara as a documentary, did you know what the story was or did you just think Niagara, there's got to be something there? Yeah, it, partly it was that. And what had happened was we had done um, uh, a, a year ago, we did um, the Rideau Canal, <clears throat> pardon me, as, as, an, um, as an experiment to see what it would be like to give the viewer um, the sense that they're um, getting onto a 1948, you know, beautiful mahogany shepherd boat and literally not cutting the camera for four hours as they went down the, the canal. And we thought that would be kind of interesting. And, you know, could we do that? And we found a way to do it and it caught an audience. And then TVO, our broadcaster, said, well, geez, that went well. Do you think you could do something else? But we want something completely different because we don't want it to look like just a waterway program. And we thought, well, you know what, it would, be, it would be really, I've always wanted to fly. Wouldn't it be cool to fly? And now they've got drone technology, and, you know, could we, you know, imitate a, you know, a raptor, a red-tailed hawk, and just, you know, fly around and be curious and go from place to place. And once we started thinking about that, then we started thinking about Niagara, because we knew there was at least the falls there. What we didn't realize is how much more there is. As soon as we started scouting, we went... How come we've only known about the falls and Clifton Hill? How come we didn't know, you know, about this river itself, about the gorge, about Whitewater Rapids, about, um, you know, the, the War of 1812, about Niagara-on-the-Lake being, you know, the once capital of Canada? I mean, just it goes on and on and on. And uh, as soon as we scouted, we knew that that was the location for us. You know, and, and that's, it's a brilliant idea. Um, I'll say the other part of it though, is it's probably a whole lot easier to get into a, a boat and go up the Rideau Canal than to say, we're going to try and do an entire film from the air, because that, that would seem to be, um, not only filled with challenges, but probably once you get started, I'm wondering if there was a point when you went, you know, we really should have stuck with a boat this time. Would have been a whole lot easier. I think we probably said that on a daily basis. And I mean, that's a great observation because, you know, with the boat, you get the right weather and, you know, you, you, you know, you're going in, I mean, the things that can go wrong can make it interesting as opposed to things that can go wrong when either you're working with a, you know, with a, a, a live red tailed hawk or you're flying a drone. I mean, lots of things can go wrong in both of those situations. And it's so dependent on so many elements and, you know, um, you know, I mean, drones, you know, drones love to be a specialty camera. They love to shoot, you know, opening scenes for a big feature film. But do they like to be in the air for 18 minutes, um, you know, going around trees and, you know, under branches and around buildings? And, you know, um, like we were, you know, we were flying um, as if we're uh, a red-tailed hawk. And we were putting these drones to like their extreme limits and 
putting the operator to extreme limits because they're used to a two-minute shot. Now we're asking them to fly continuously, you know, for up to 18 minutes without making a single tiny little, you know, mistake. I, I, this was probably the stupidest question you're ever going to be asked about this, but did when you were first planning this, did the thought ever cross your mind of something as ridiculous as, can we strap a GoPro onto an actual hawk and see what happens? <laughs> You know, um, I, our broadcaster thought we could do that, and and I mean, it's, a, it's not. It's it. I mean, because everybody thinks that, right? I mean, cameras are getting smaller. Why can't you put a camera onto, you know, some kind of raptor? Um, I'm, the reality is, I mean, uh, there isn't a camera small enough that a hawk could take. So far, there will eventually be. So when you do see those shots, it's usually something bigger, and usually an eagle, like a golden or a bald eagle, because they're just much bigger birds and they can handle the weight of of it. But if you also see those shots, I mean, you know, uh, Scott, if you watched it for ten seconds, you'd start to get nauseous. I mean, they're, you know, the, the you know the birds moving as as he's moving, and even though it's a really wide angle lens, they're just you know they're moving, you know, up, down, sideways. It's it's not a it's not it's not pleasant to watch. It's <laughs> the Blair Witch Project for hawks. <laughs> I mean, we wanted to get you in the air and just be smooth, right? To just, you know, think that you're soaring and you're, you know, you're, you're exploring in a very, very sort of seamless, um, you know, um, in, 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 and control the speed and control that, you know, there's no, you know, there's no movement, there's no pans, there's no tilt. It's just, you know, it's just a steady shot, you know, flying the entire time. One of the things about drones though, is as much as they're amazing and the stuff they can do and the technology and everything is just, is amazing how it's advanced, but they still have limits. And I've only seen trailers and other clips from this. I haven't seen the full movie yet, but it, it looks like you guys pushed some of the limits, which, you know, drones, when they're up in the sky and you push the limits and they get out of range or they get low on batteries or whatever, they don't just stay up there forever. I mean, how many of these things did you lose or break to make this thing? <laughs> Uh, well, we, yeah, we, we, we had some incidents. I mean, you know, there, there were, I guess maybe the most challenging time for us is the Niagara River, um, you know, for most of us, it's either what we see at the bottom of the falls or it's what we see, you know, as it enters into, um, as, it, as, it, as it goes into Lake Ontario. So we see rather flat water. But for us, we needed to, we, we needed to cover the entire river. Now, once you get to... Um, Queenston Heights, you're in a gorge that, you know, I, I'm sure you, you know, but Niagara Falls were once 12 kilometers downstream from where they were. And over 12,000 years, they've eroded to the point that they're, they are now. And as they've eroded, they've created this gorge that's, you know, 17 stories high. At points, it pinches down to, you know, less than 100 meters across. So you're imagining the upper Great Lakes is you know, all that water is draining out of the upper Great Lakes down to the lower lakes. So, you know, 20% of the world's, you know, fresh water is coming down through that pinch point. It creates this massively fast white water that's, um, you know, it's class six rapids. So we're in a jet boat, <laughs> and we're, we're literally launching from a jet boat. And when the drone, the drone, first of all, it likes to know where the satellites are. And we have 17-story, you know, um, gorge the satellite can get out of, you know, can get out of sight. So that's not good. You have to keep the drone in sight. You have to have a spotter on it. And then the other thing is if the drone doesn't like where, you know, what it's doing, it goes back to home. Well, on a boat, home might not be where, <laughs> where it lives from. So we're trying to catch this drone, you know, in, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a river on a jet boat by hand. And, uh, so, yeah, we, we had some moments. 
Uh, yeah, you guys, I hope you filmed the behind the scenes of this. That might be entertaining as well. Yeah, there's a whole behind the scenes on our <laughs> Facebook page. Just drone catching. Yeah, you a new Olympic things. sport, drone catching. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, I, and I'll say one other thing about the, the flying aspect of this, because you said at the beginning, like, who hasn't wanted to fly? I, I was thinking about that because when I was a kid, and probably you're probably around the same age, so you probably grew up going to Ontario Place when you were younger as well. And at, at the Cinesphere, they used to have, I think, was it called North of Superior, the there movie that was always playing there? And I always remember in that as a kid, there was at least a part of it where you were flying around and, or go down to Disney World, to Epcot with that, that with the Soren ride, which is one of the most popular ones. There's clearly something that is appealing to people about that sense of being able to fly. I think there, I mean, I, I, it's the sense of freedom. It's the sense that, you know, you can get anywhere. Um, it's, there's just... I mean, we were feeling it, you know, as, you know, as we were watching, um, you know, the screen as the drone was flying, like our pilot was really getting the sense of it. You know, he was, you know, because we had practiced a lot with him to get him to feel, you know, like, like a bird. And, and you could see where he was just, you know, he was catching a rhythm. And, uh, and I mean, some of the shots, you know, I, I don't say it because I was part of it there, but there, I say it because this guy was just a remarkable uh, drone pilot, cinematographer, like some of them, you think, how the heck did you do that? You know, I mean, um, little windows that you went like that he went through, you know, between trees and just, just stuff that you'd think, how, how did a, how would a red-tailed hawk or a drone get through that little spot? Did you know, um, I'm, I'm not a documentary filmmaker, obviously. Um, when you are filming all this, do you know what the story is as you're filming it? Or do you just say, let's get all the footage we can get and then we're going to figure out what the story is once it's all captured i think in a, you know i've never made a traditional um documentary where i didn't have the sense of the story and then you know and then it's just a bit of discovery because you know y- y- you have to be able to and, and it's like you i mean you're obviously an interviewer that doesn't think about the next question you're listening to what i'm saying and you react to what i'm saying and i mean that's good interviewing it's good instincts it's good you know it's what we learn as as reporters and i think if you're if you're open to that if you're open to the fact that you know it can lead you anywhere and you know you're you're not locked into this notion of what it's going to be um and in 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 a pure documentary i'm i'm doing that all the time in this one because we were flying the drone um the scouting was the, the the documentary making it was in the scouting that we you know that we allowed ourselves to just say okay you know what's you know what's truly interesting here what are the great stories and and so once we were filming it was it was pretty locked down to what we were going to do there were a couple of spontaneous moments but it's just you know with, with a drone you have to fly flight you know file flight pattern you know um, uh, reports and you know do all those things that you have to do so in a sense, it was untraditional in that way. The other thing that's very untraditional about this that I'm very much looking forward to seeing, cause I, I don't know how it'll work. I'm sure it does. There's no narration in this, right? This is, this is purely visual. It's purely visual. And, and we, that was, you know, done on purpose. Cause we, you know, we wanted it to be experiential and what it does have in it, it um, there's 150, and, and, you know, cause you and I are the same vintage. We'll remember this in MTV. They had those pop-up videos, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. So this has 150 pop-up, you know, information boards that give you, you know, um, information, the fact that, you know, um, 
you know, I use this example a lot, but, you know, the, 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 the vineyards and the orchards that are in the lower part of Niagara, um, you know, there's a reason why they're there. Yes, you know, there's the, you know, the warmth off of Lake Ontario, but the soil is particularly rich. Well, if you, if we pop up a, an information board and tell you that it used to be the, you know, the, the bottom of an ancient um, lake called Lake Iroquois, and that, you know, the, the minerals and all the goodness that came out of that, you know, that bottom of that lake are what, you know, what the, you know, what's, what's still in that soil and allowing those, you know, the, the, that, 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 that richness of soil. If we pop that up, when you look at it, you'll go, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. You know, if, if we pop up, you know, that, you know, we're, you know, 12 kilometers away from the falls and you're just entering this gorge and we say, well, you know, the falls were here and we're still 12 kilometers from where they are today. And that, you know, further along we say, you know, um, you know, when the first European explorer came, this is where he would have stood, you know, like uh, the, or the falls would have stood. Like it's, it's, it's giving information that's enriching the landscape that you're seeing. It's not just, you know, it's, just, it's not just a sequence of beautiful shots. It's, it's, there's history. There's unbelievable animations that take you back in time and explain, you know, the Adam Beck, um, you know, hydroelectric plant. It kind of lifts the walls off that. You go inside of it. It's, um, so, there, you know, there's, you, 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 have to be, you have to give people more of a reason to watch than just pretty pictures. That's kind of fast food, you know. It, it, it's digested quite quickly. Well, it is a, uh, it is a long, it's three hours long. It's the Irishman of Niagara documentaries. Um, <laughs> it is uh, tomorrow, uh, sorry, Friday evening, 7 p.m. on TV Ontario. And then it'll be online after that, right? It's going up to stream so people can grab it whenever they want after that. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. Tripping the Niagara. That is Mitch's area. Mitch, really looking forward to watching it. And I really, I really like, this is fun. As I say, I remember your days back on Sportsline and it's fantastic to talk with you now. And I really appreciate you taking a few minutes. I, I don't say this lightly, Scott, an absolute pleasure to talk to you. That is Mitch's area of Tripping the Niagara, Friday night, 7 p.m. Stop watching all those Adam Sandler movies that you're down to at the end because that's all that's left on Netflix. Watch this. It's going to be fantastic. I've seen some clips. Amazing. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.